Hello, welcome to Western Reaches, episode 40. This is Tashi Station's grab bag geek discussion podcast, focusing on science fiction and fantasy books and video games. Um, Time has been flying, and in the weird chronological vortex that called itself November, Saf and I (laughs) both played a lot of Destiny 2. Um, So this month, we're joined by our friend and fire team member, Tom, for our main topic, Destiny 2 Forsaken and the ongoing live changes to Bungie's space shooter. So, hey guys, how is everyone? Tom and I were literally just playing Destiny today. It's kind of been all we've been talking about. It's a, a really good like opportunity for us to kind of talk about the live what's going on with the live changes to the game in the podcast today. Yes, I'm good. I'm tired because I stayed up too late playing Destiny last night, uh, which is my own fault, but it's really hard to put that game down sometimes. Yeah, I'm good. I just came off of playing a bunch of rounds of Crucible, which was about as exciting and fun as you can imagine in that <laughs> It wasn't all that fun, um, but I got powerful gear, which is really the most important thing. Friendship with Crucible ended. Gambit is our best friend now. Fact. So um, before we get into more of that, um, I, we're going to do our usual section. So talk a little bit about the books we're reading and the games that we've been playing lately. Um, Saf, you wrote two things down under the book list and then wrote that you have read nothing. Please explain. <laughs> no, I think that's Tom stealing my color. <laughs> oh, Tom stole your color. Gasp. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Well, I fixed it. I fixed it. It's all better now. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Tom, do you want to go first then and talk about those books? Yes, I have read nothing. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I, uh, the latter portion of the year right around now tends to be a little busy. Um, so I haven't had a lot of time for free reading, but there's been lots of work reading going on. So um, I don't know. At some point in the future, I could tell you about that. Exciting. Okay. So Saf, you're the other color. You I have am. the, oh, okay. I get it now. We're very organized here. We are, okay. We're super organized. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Saf, go. I want to go last. Okay, all good. Um, so I recently went to, I guess, a discount bookstore in Adelaide. Um, like everything was a three dollars or seven dollars or something like that. It was real cheap. Um, and I went in with the intention of getting a book, just any book that I wanted to read, like something that would attract my attention and that looked cool. Um, and it took me ages to find the sci-fi section because it was hidden in the back somewhere. And I struggle with literary fiction for many reasons um so i finally found it and most of it was just i couldn't find any like philip k dick which is who's my boy and i want some of his books um i couldn't find like any sci-fi authors that like i wanted to read or that i am fond of it was all just generic sci-fi or wheel of time basically um and then i found like this one little book in the side called wolves by simon ings and i've never read any simon ings but the cover looked really cool and the back looked cool because the main character seemed to be called connie and i was like that's a girl's name this is a book about a girl turns out it was short for connor it's a dude um which i realized very quickly and this book was a really weird mix of sci-fi like pre-apocalyptic sci-fi and literary fiction and i hate it when sci-fi sneaks literary fiction into my books because I always end up being very confused by the book. Um, I kind of made a joke that is it gay or is it literary fiction? Because 
I think the main character is meant to be gay and like there's gay stuff in there. Like, I mean, there obviously is because it, there's like gay sex scenes, but I don't know if like it was about that or just like the theme of the character and his best friend like sleeping together or something. Um, hmm. Yeah. I didn't understand is like the symbolic? core. Th- yeah, exactly. Like, I didn't know if it was chosen for a character reason or like a thematic reason or what, which I guess doesn't matter in the long run, but the entire book didn't seem to have a point or like a core theme that held it all together. Um, so even though I enjoyed it at the start, the writing's really good. I just couldn't like get into it and I didn't really understand it when I finished it. Uh, so that was kind of my feeling with that book. It has a really cool cover and a really cool idea and really good writing, but I didn't love it in the end. Um, which kind I of would sucks. also feel slightly tricked by a character called Connie, who turned out to be a Connor. But yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so literary flavor, like I tend to like literary flavor sci-fi, but there's a difference between like Station Eleven, for example, mm-hmm. literary flavor, and what it sounds like this is, which is that it was so much about theme and symbolism that it didn't really give you that, like, adventure sci-fi that you wanted. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, and it didn't really, like, it had this whole part of AR becoming this kind of altering reality and everything. And the only way it really came through in any, like, personal way for the characters was related to sex stuff, basically. Um, It didn't really go any further than that into the real world. It didn't really touch on any of that that well. Um, you can't really hear my like annoyed <laughs> sigh through the audio very well, but I did one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did many while reading this book. Um, it felt very like male literary fiction as opposed to sci-fi, um, which is fine, I guess. That's allowed to exist, but it very much wasn't what I wanted out of the book. Um, and then I am now reading Invisible Cities, which I'm almost finished with, which is like a classic novel. Um about Marco Polo explaining, like, telling all these cities to someone whose name I've forgotten. I'm really bad at books. Um, And it's basically just, it reads kind of as, like, a really cool exercise in describing so many different kinds of cities based on the same kind of city initially, because it's about Venice. Um, All of the cities are based on Venice, uh, but they're all, like, really extravagant and different, and it's gorgeous like it's gorgeous writing um it's really interesting seeing how the writer approaches um like describing so many cities there are so many cities described in this book they have like a page worth of description um and it's not repetitive or anything which is just impressive super impressive and it's just it's really lovely it's been a nice chill book to read because there's no there's no stakes there's no nothing it's just relaxing yeah yeah that's really cool kind of that idea about fantasy that's all world building yeah. that's impressive yeah i've basically just been like lying in bed at night dreaming about reading updraft again so i'm probably just gonna pick that up again after i finish this because that's all i want to read right now oh my gosh i was literally thinking about rereading updraft recently <laughs> but anyway <laughs> it's like i kind of miss those characters i just haven't seen them in a while yeah, it's just the time of the year you know <laughs> oh my gosh it is okay so anyway um <laughs> We should do an updraft revisit. No, we should not do that. <laughs> so, um, books, yeah. So, in like the tie-in novel space, uh, I recently finished 
Mass Effect Andromeda Initiation by N.K. Jemison and Mac Walters, which is one of the two, um, there are three total, but two of the Mass Effect Andromeda tie-in books are written just by, you know, remarkably uh, notable award-winning sci-fi fantasy authors, and you know, this is uh, obviously I love N.K. Jemisin. So uh, this one and the one by Catherine Valenti both are out now. Finally, after what feels oh like God. 17 years yeah. that I've been waiting for them, <laughs> during which time my relationship to Mass Effect Andromeda has changed greatly. Um, but I can say that despite my sort of disappointment with the game um, initiation was pretty much exactly what I wanted to, wanted it to be. It was a fast-paced mystery starring Cora Harper and talked about what her time with the Asari was and kind of talked about who her Asari friends were and a lot of it was uh, her alone, like the, the plot, you know, dictated that she be alone for most of the time but it also had some really sweet friendships between her and and other women and generally like did some interesting things with asari that i think are necessary to do in order to make that race a little less of the like space babe trope and i'm really <laughs> glad that jemison was kind of able to do that so it was a really you know it was fun it did what i think tie in novels can do well which is they they are um very adventurous and you know full of wonder and not they don't drag down and this was just a, a nice nice enjoyable one that's good to hear so Yes, and I think I think you'd probably like it, Seth. Yeah, I didn't even think about the fact that NK Jemison would be writing about Asari, but you mentioning that, I'm like, yes, I want this a lot. I was definitely left wanting more of that. Like, I wish Cora had, like, one of her friends had gone with her, but there were, even though it wasn't really about that, it wasn't about, like, the way I think the Mass Effect series in general is kind of about, like, making friends and relationships, and the book wasn't really that, but the side characters were, were good and varied, you know. There was occasional moments where it was like, yeah, it's Mass Effect, so we're going to talk about how shapely <laughs> someone is or something. It was like, okay, yeah. fine. <laughs> but it was it was pretty good. Yeah. So, um, as a follow-up to the nonfiction book that I think I talked about last time, I finished, just today actually, I finished... 1493, Uncovering the New World Columbus Created, which was a look at the beginning of globalization, mostly focused around South America and the um, the Spanish sort of conquests there, as well as the impact that Africans had um, by making their own communities and establishing their own towns there. So this was uh, also, you know, really interesting. Um, I found this one, so 1491 was the the first book that I talked about in the last episode. This one, I think, had a couple problems that 1491 didn't, it even more so jumped around in time a lot. So he, the author would talk about uh, the 1700s in chapter one and the 1400s in chapter three and back to like the 1600s in chapter seven. And the timeline was very disconnected. Um, this one also, I think, could have Help, could have been stronger with a stronger thesis or, or stance to it. The first one was very much about 
disproving myths. And this one kind of looked at globalization and went, well, there are some things that are good about it and there are some things that are bad about it and left it at that. There, there wasn't, I don't think there was enough of a conclusion. There was a lot of sort of anecdotes, um, but he was clearly not trying to moralize in any way. I personally did not find it to be, you know, preachy at all. But on the flip side, what he then ended up doing is basically saying, globalization happened. Here are the ways in which it happened. Like, there's nothing, you know, we cannot change that pattern now and and maybe we shouldn't was the strongest stance that he had so i kind of wanted a little more conclusion to this one but it was very since yeah that, Mm -hmm. that seems to be kind of yeah missing more of a stronger conclusion than just that um just you describing that i feel like if i was reading that i would also want more than that I think I was looking for answers in it, and it was not a book that wanted to give answers. It was a history I... book, not a not a tract of any kind. I don't know that that's a good word for it, but not an instruction manual of any kind. But there were parts where I almost thought it was going to be, or I thought it inevitably had to be, if you were aware of the kind of social changes that are going on. And it, it just chose not to do that. So, you know. That's fair, I guess. They're allowed to do that. And I'm sure there are other books. This definitely made me want to kind of look up other books that cover this kind of topic and get a wider view because as, as you know, wide a view as this one had, there are always more things to learn in this area. So it was interesting. Um, and so I read a like fantasy novel called Clockwork Boys by T. Kingfisher. T. Kingfisher, I knew mostly as an artist. They do, you know, fantasy illustrations, but have also been doing like novels lately. This was uh, not a young adult novel. It was, yeah, definitely like, like, you know, for the adult set, but it was uh, kind of a how do I describe it? It's a quest, right? So a forger, the main character is a forger, puts together a team of like a paladin and an assassin and a priest to go find the source of the clockwork boys, which are uh, machines basically that are invading their city. So it's kind of this fantasy quest thing. And generally, I thought that it was really good and that the stakes were really obvious. Like the, the invasion is going to happen. And these are the people who are going to suffer if it happens. Um, The characters were also neat, although they felt a little bit like D and D tropes. They felt a little bit like here's the, you know, they each have their own set of weapons and they're each going to conform very much to what their class is. Um, the other big problem I had with this was that it was much more of a romance than I thought it would be. Uh, oh, it's no. very much, um, and not Surprise only a romance, romance, but a love triangle. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, God, the worst. Yeah. So the the one character, so the main woman, um, She's the only lady in the party. She has had a past relationship that was just mostly, like, a physical relationship with one of the guys, and she's developing this, like, emotional connection to the other one. And by the end of the book, it was very clear that, like, they're we're doing the, the romance triangle thing now, and it's so much about who she chooses and why. And I was kind of like, I, like... 
I have an opinion about which one I think she should choose or would be the more interesting story for her to choose, but also this is not what I wanted to read. And this book was actually um, recommended to me as a, like, because I there was like, something that I was writing. Uh, somebody was like, this might be kind of similar to the thing you're writing. And the further I got in, the more I was like, it's really not. <laughs> it's not as, you know, useful to me as I thought it would be. So that was kind of kind of disappointing. And I was just like, isn't the love triangle trope done out? You know, isn't it, aren't we over that as a society? Um, and I guess we're not. So yeah, we can, <laughs> it, was, we can hope. it was okay. That one day, one day we'll be free from like, this. <laughs> one day we will be free. But like technically, it was very good. The characters were interesting. The stakes were very clear. It was a very like well constructed book. It just wasn't what I wanted it to be. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, um, in the we're gonna go into our games section. Um, I have not been playing anything except Destiny. So, a little bit here and there. Mostly, all my games conversation is gonna be later. So, um, if you guys would like to go ahead, uh, you can take this part away. Tom, you go. You've I'm got not gonna tell you which one to start. <laughs> okay. Um, so I I've been playing a lot of Destiny too, but I actually took some time, especially with like Thanksgiving and some longer weekends, to finally finish playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey, um, which I had kind of played about eight hours worth of uh, the game and then kind of like meandered away from it uh, and came back to it in fits and spurts for 15 or 20 minutes at a time when I was usually waiting for someone to come online to play Destiny with. Um, I like it more or less. Um, I finished the main campaign. I've not quite maxed out the character. Um, level 50 is the max currently, um, and I'm level 46. So I haven't quite, you know, completed all the ancillary activity, but most of it. And I was lukewarm on just how connected I felt to the game about 10 hours in and then now much further in. I still feel kind of lukewarm on it. Um, mechanically, the game is as brilliant as, you know, Origins was last year, and um, the Assassin's Creed game has really games have really come a long way mechanically and in terms of how smooth they are from graphically and frame rates and all that stuff. But I consistently have found that the addition of the like RPG elements have actually made me feel dis more disconnected from the games than I have in the past because they're not true real RPG elements. The conversation choices you make in the game are for the most part. Um, cosmetic and the only art the only choice you're making is like whether to be nice to someone and like pay them to go away or just immediately jump into a fight and ah, yes. all of that has just made me feel slightly detached um, but it's still really good and obviously the world of like ancient greece is super immersive and absolutely gorgeous even though the terrain of the different islands you go to is a little bit samey it's like everything's a rocky co a rocky coastal island for the most part um, mm. that's pretty good um, on the less like, you know, super serious, but delightfully fun side is uh, the new Mario Party for the Nintendo Switch, which obviously continues like a pretty long running franchise of board game meets video game mashups uh, is a lot of fun. There's a lot of great new co-op mechanics that have evolved as the series has gone on, um, which makes for a lot of great um, game sessions with my girlfriend and I. Um, the mini games are probably some of the best the series has had. They really take use of the fact that the Switch's little Joy-Cons have all of the like 
um, motion controls and vibration tech built into them. So there's a lot of mini games that re- force you to rely on actually like feeling specific different vibrations, which the Switch actually can pull off and is pretty impressive. Um, and there's all sorts of like really fun, wacky mini games. The best of which is um, one where you're all trying to jump in front of someone from the paparazzi trying to take your photo, but you want to be <laughs> obviously like front and center. So you slap everybody else out of the way, like <laughs> just at the second before the photo is taken. That's um, pretty funny. And it's called Slapparazzi. It's amazing. It should win game of the year. I don't want to hear about Red Dead Redemption. I want to hear about Slapparazzi only. This is um, what I'm here for. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. And there's all sorts of characters and they've they've expanded the number of Mario characters in the game. So you can play like as Boo if you want, um, where in years past you could only play as like Mario or Donkey Kong or Peach. Um, and then last for anyone who's like an old school board game fan or remembers seeing advertisements for a game called Fireball Island from the 90s. Um, it was this year uh, there was a Kickstarter for a restorated version of it that raised over $2.8 million dollars. And um, I just got my edition of the game last week and we've been playing it and it looks and feels very much like that old 90s game, but is actually now like a playable modern board game, uh, which is great because I pretty much feel like the only reason that other game existed was to be that one kid in your neighborhood who had the obnoxiously large box um, with a giant fireball spewing volcano on the front of it. Um, But it's (laughs) it's pretty cool. It's a lot of fun. So if you know anyone or find anyone who happens to have it, definitely ask to play it. That is something that was not part of my 90s experience, and I don't know if I wasn't the right age for it or if I didn't watch the right TV channels, but I don't remember this at all, but it sounds exactly like you said, like like the thing that all the kids would come over to play. So that's kind of amusing. I'm sure if you go on YouTube, you can find some like delightful like 90s commercials that make the board game sound like the most amazing thing ever with like all sorts of cheesy 90s graphics. Um, much in the way that you can find commercials for like all sorts of old 90s toys that are just like so over the top and are not at all indicative of what the actual experience of playing with those toys was like. Uh, <laughs> I, I guarantee you Fireball Highland has at least one of those somewhere. Oh, I absolutely remember those commercials. I think I remember seeing ads for Fireball Island. I like Googled it just now and it looks familiar. I don't think anyone knew owned it, but I think I knew about it and it looked cool on tv but i doubt i would have liked it in real life because i'm like that i also knew no one who owned it but everyone was like aspirationally wanted it but no one ever actually did own it which maybe (laughs) was some of the problem with the original game (laughs) yeah maybe um yeah i haven't played what is wander song this okay wonder song very interesting wonder song is amazing it is actually amazing um it's a game that came out relatively recently it's a story narrative game um about a bard who is trying to save the world from ending basically he discovers from this like spirit character uh that the world is being corrupted and is going to be destroyed soon basically and the only way he can stop that from happening is from getting the earth song um which used to get from these various I guess like guardians of the earth kind of um and they have to, he has to get to teach him parts of the song so he can sing it and combine the world and singing it to stop this from happening so he can save the world basically um and it's an extremely millennial game it's very similar to night in the woods and oxen free in the way that it's about a young adult who is struggling against this like omnipresent abstract end of the world that is coming like this this 
thing that doesn't really have a shape or a face that's just coming. That sounds like my jam. Yeah, and it's extremely cutely written, very funny. Um, It uses text, like text shape and text animation in really interesting ways to give tone um, because there's not really any voices in it. It's not a voiced game. Um, it's a platformer kind of thing and you basically your main interaction with the world is through singing and dancing so you learn these different dances so you can just walk around dance um there's like a speed running strat that me and my friend use that's doing a pirouette because you move faster when you pirouette so you're just pirouetting through the entire game um i say speed running strat (laughs) as a complete joke for the record uh and so you one of your joysticks you're playing on console is um basically your singing circle so you can sing and whichever direction you point it and plays that note um so you basically can just sing your way through everything and when you're doing conversations so when you have to make like dialogue choices you pick the the color that matches that and then you basically like sing the rest of the line um so each syllable comes up with each note that you play it's kind of hard to describe but it's really cutely done like this game is just really polished it's really adorable it's really funny it's very much got like a millennial sense of humor to it uh very much like the world is going to end but at least we have friends right now um there's a bit where you have pirates the pirates are the best thing ever because they're like you meet these pirates and you're like oh terrifying pirates but they're just coffee bean traders like all they do is ship coffee beans um and so when you go to the island where all the pirates hang out you go to their like piratey hangout place and it's just a cafe where they're all drinking coffee um it's super cute like it's that kind of subversion of tropes and stuff like that it is extremely delightful like this game on the whole is just a very delightful game and it does have very strong emotional moments like i didn't expect it to be emotionally resonant i guess when i first heard about the game i was like that looks fun i'll probably play it at some point um but one of my friends who i seriously trust her opinions on game narrative she told me that this game, she actually spoiled some of it for me because she knew I would play the game after telling me that, uh, some of the emotional stuff that happens later on. And it is quite powerful emotionally. Um, I won't spoil it here because it's worth playing it, but it's a very good game. I would thoroughly recommend it. Uh, I haven't finished it yet, but it's probably like up there on my top five games I've played this year. Uh, I haven't finished it because of Destiny 2 being terrible and owning my life, but honestly, Wandersong is the best. That sounds excellent, and I will have to take a look for it. Is it available on PC, um, consoles, etc.? I know it's on Switch. Where can one play I've been it? playing on okay. uh, Switch. I'm pretty sure it's on like most platforms. Yes, it's on it's on Switch and PC and Mac. There we go. Not the consoles, but Switch is a console. That counts. Oh, it's so colorful. Yeah, it's really oh gosh, colorful. I'm buying this right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Please. It is honestly just like... it's. I felt so good whenever I was playing it just because all of the characters are just so interesting and lovely. And there are some really funny references to like actual heroes. Cause basically the core of the game is that you're playing a bard and he is not the hero. He's not the hero of the game, but he's trying his best to save the world anyway. So he comes up against people who are like, you're not the hero. And at some point he does meet the hero. Um, and she is very strong and very scary and kind of a dick. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's basically this idea of, someone not being the hero of a story is still being able to change the world. Uh, and I really like that kind of story. I just looked at the the Twitter uh, for the game. So the, the creator's Twitter, actually. And he's just like talking about She-Ra. <laughs> it's very good. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Everything about this seems good. 
Yeah, great. I thoroughly recommend it. Oh, actually, also, I did play a bit of um another game, Frog Detective, which just came out, uh, created by Grace Bruxner, who's a, an Australian. And it's a game I've been like wanting to play for a while because she did a talk at Play by Play about aesthetics and the games she's been making. And she makes these really cute, quirky little games. And so Frog Detective is about a detective who's a frog. Um, and it's really cute and also really funny and really cool. And I think it's kind of in a similar vein to Wonder Song, where it's just like supposed to be a happy, fun time to play um, as opposed to like some game that makes you feel stressed or tense or anything. Um, so I can definitely recommend Frog Detective as well because that's really good. Cool. That does sound very cute. It's so cute. Her art style is the cutest thing ever. Just, I feel like the combination of human occupation and animal name is automatically cute also. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a frog wearing a detective outfit. It's really cute. Yeah. Yeah. Has shades of detective Pikachu, but that's okay. We can forgive that. We can, we can, we can pretend that doesn't happen. It's fine. Okay, so that um, brings us to our main topic, Destiny 2 Forsaken. Uh, Forsaken was the DLC that came out in September. It had its own campaign, it had its own raid, and it had the Dreaming City, which was advertised as a always changing space. It has since then been an always changing space, as has most of the rest of Destiny. They've adapted very much to a weekly uh, sort of a way to get you to play weekly. So Dreaming City is on a three-week cycle where it changes and each some events are only accessible on certain weeks. And then they have also changed the way you can get uh, gear to level up. So every week there are certain, there are weekly and daily challenges that are guaranteed to get you better gear. So for me, this has definitely changed my behavior of how I interact with Destiny because there are specific things that I want to work toward and certain levels I want to get to. I'll make sure to go, okay, I'm going to go on once a week because after this week I can't do, you know, I can't get... Uh, the things that I could get this week or I can't level up like in my optimal way. So it has uh, very successfully, I think, gotten people to come back more often. With that is the conversation about the, the upcoming seasons and whether it is worth to pay extra money for this always on content. So um, we're going to go through a little bit of that as we as we continue. Um, but the first thing that I want to do is talk to Saf about her f- impressions of Forsaken because we had not, you had not finished it since uh, we talked last. And you have like, I feel like I was kind of, I was the destiny one for a while. <laughs> and then you have now just been talking about it so much more and been so much more into it. And part of that is because the platform that you got it on, you mentioned earlier that it's free on PC now, so it's easier for you to travel and and you play on your PC. But I was also just like, tell me all of your impressions. Tell me like everything you think about the characters (laughs) (laughs) in like 10 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, okay, I can do that. Um, So I basically, I got Destiny 2 like a year ago, almost exactly. Um, and I've been playing it pretty casually since then, like chill, the main campaign didn't drag me in, but it's fun playing a bungee shooter because bungee's good at stuff. Um, but Forsaken kind of did change that. Um, I wasn't hugely into lore or like characters or anything. I just cared about playing the game cause it was fun. Um, but Forsaken, like compared to, I, I also made a stupid mistake that I didn't realize I bought the DLC pass for the first two DLCs. I just 
thought I'd bought Warmind because I just wanted to play Warmind. Um, and then realized after playing Forsaken that I owned Osiris and that I could have played Osiris from the start. So I went back and played Osiris after playing Forsaken, which was a mistake. I will tell you to never do that because Osiris is really bad compared to Forsaken. Um, yes. It's not terrible, but in comparison, it is not great. Yeah, if I'd played Osiris first, I would have been fine with it. But playing it after the other two was painful. Um, but yeah, so Forsaken like really changes up how they deliver story through the game. Instead of just like you're running through something and then it gives you story and then you run through and shoot more things and then it gives you story. It kind of built the story more into the things that were happening. Um, like the thing that stands out to me is that when you're first in the Prison of Elders with Cade, Cade kind of intersects with you constantly. Um, when you're trying to like, when he's in like this little con control room that's glassed off from you, but you're in this other room, basically fixing the mistakes he's making as he's making them and watching him do these things, which is really funny. Um, like I really enjoy Cade after that, uh, which is unfortunate because that's where he dies. Um, <laughs> really unfortunate. Uh, but they also had more intense character moments because of Cade's death. They brought in more about like Zavala and Ikora dealing with that, the rest of the tower dealing with it. Um, fail safes dialogue thing after Cade dies and you go talk to her for the first time is heartbreaking yes. um, fail safe the AI of the black Exodus Black um, on Nessus she has this whole little thing about like being like I thought I understood loss because all of my team has died all of my crew has died but actually I haven't it hasn't gotten any better this is the worst and it's really sad um, so kind of having that character beat in there or that emotional beat kind of got me more attached to a lot of the characters because I kind of got to see them react in a more personal way than they have previously to a lot of the story stuff um so forsaken really did kind of manage to bring me more into the world than the previous expansions have which i really appreciate because now that i'm involved in the world i'm really liking the world i'm getting more invested in like the stuff on mars with the bray corporation um like <laughs> i'm reading lore stuff now because the game's made it easier to do that with the uh triumphs thing that they've added in um so I'm reading lore. I'm getting really into the ghost lore because ghost lore is really cool. I really like ghosts, apparently. That is the thing I have like hyper-focused on is ghosts. Um, the Dreaming ghosts City is gorgeous. Like the Dreaming City is so cool. I'm still terrified of it because I remember trying to play it, play stuff in it as like my four, my 510 hunter, I think, who was way under-leveled and kept dying. So I'm still terrified of the Dreaming City, even though I'm almost at the right power level for it. Uh, but I did some stuff in it the other day. So I did like the Ascendant Challenge because we're in the first week of the six-week cycle. We were in the first week of the six-week cycle. Maybe we still are. I don't remember reset dates. Um, so it was an easy Ascendant Challenge. And I was like, yay, I can do this. I feel so cool. Uh, so the constant ongoing like changes to the game afterwards has definitely given it more end game, which previously has never been something I've cared about. But because of the way the game has dragged me more into the world and caring about the world, I'm more invested in actually wanting to play the extra stuff that it brings in now. Um, so like before Forsaken came out, I didn't really care that there wasn't much in game because I just ran around and shot stuff because that's what I wanted to do. But now that I care about the characters and stuff and like I'm interested in the lore, the Dreaming City is really cool because there's so much lore there. There's so much happening. <laughs> um, and I don't understand a lot of the lore still. Like there's so much of Destiny I don't understand because there's so much there. There's just a lot. I've been like, Sometimes Wikipediaing who certain people are to try and learn more about relationships and stuff, um, but I'm still really behind on it. I've been spending more time on the Reddit, so I'm actually like learning meta stuff from that side of it. And 
I'm actually really excited for the upcoming seasons. I didn't expect that, but I am really excited for that. This is just proving to me that my my master plan of getting all my writer slash reader friends to play Destiny is working. <laughs> yeah, and I think Forsaken is definitely helping with that because uh, like previously in my friend group in New Zealand, I was my only, like I was my only friend. I was the only person who played Destiny. Oh, um, nobody else was playing Destiny. <laughs> so I was like, this is really cool. Look at this cool gun and blah, blah, blah. And all my friends like, whatever, Seth, that's just Destiny. But because it came out free on PC and I was like, come on, everyone, Forsaken is great. And they're like, okay, whatever. So they all got it um, on PC. And then every single one within a week bought Forsaken and has played through Forsaken and is really into the game. Um, like people who were previously not interested in the game or like had played it on PC for a little while but never played it much are now like really into the game. And it's really exciting because now I have heaps of other friends who I can talk to about Destiny and they all have the Vigilance Wing on PC and I still haven't gotten it and I'm really mad about that because I really like that gun. But otherwise, <laughs> it's great. That's cool. It's it's nice to see more people coming in because there are, there are problems with this game and we're going to talk more about them. But I'm also mm-hmm. really excited to see more people coming in, especially with this PC, the, it being readily available on PC. One of the things that you said that I thought was interesting was that you mentioned the end game doesn't feel like an end game. And I think, yeah. but in a good way. And I think I, I completely agree. And I think they very much transitioned from end game to always on game. So there's always something new to do and something new to chase. And I think there's an argument that this can become overwhelming that people that, because I have been thinking, I'm not sure that I would recommend Forsaken to someone who got Destiny 2 today because they are going to be scrambling to catch up. I don't think that if you buy it today that it is necessarily worth it for you to get the season pass or to get Forsaken right away because you will be, you will miss things because the game is, is transforming the whole time. But for people, for people like us, I play once or twice a week. Typically there's so much to do and it's such, I feel like for me, it is perfectly hit the balance of things to chase and you know it's difficult but it's not so difficult that it's frustrating um so the pace of content post forsaken has depended for me a lot on these weapons focused quests so i've been super into gambit lately for so many reasons um (laughs) do you have the dredgen title yet no no I've been working on it, but some of the triumphs are are tough. But <laughs> they're um, really hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, two quest steps. I'm on the second to last quest step to get malfeasance, so I'm still working on that. And now, of course, there's the next uh, gambit, you know, peak weapon. So the, I'll work toward that too. So this has been working toward these weapons and ace of spades is the other one that I know a lot of people were working toward has been really fun. Cause it's just like a motivation. It's a thing to chase, you know? Um, but I was talking to somebody about this the other day who said that they felt constrained by the fact that so much of the story was based around getting a gun, getting a weapon, um, which is kind of a staple of MMOs and of games like this, but even like the malfeasance, 
mission that had like dialogue I was super interested in and lore I was super interested in. At the end result, you get some more powerful item. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you guys feel that that's constraining at all? And Tom, I also want you to talk a little bit about your point, your your perspective on this, not end game, but always on game and this shift to the way they are handling updates now. Yeah, I mean, so uh, I guess to answer the second part first, I think our experience, or at least the experience that we had in following Destiny in when it was Destiny 1 and, and at the beginning of Destiny 2 is that there was always this race to like get yourself to the end of the game so that you could do like the single highest um, light level like end game content piece, which was usually like one of the raids or one of the like special aspects of a raid. And that was really it that and like you could you could take part in the high level player versus player combat like the trials of osiris type stuff and it always felt like everyone was just like racing to do that and then you got there and then there was nothing to do because you could only do one or two things and then every time they released something new you would just immediately gobble it up and uh you would gobble it up and then you'd be as soon as they release something you'd be done with it so i think the idea of going to an always on game and making it so that you're just on a perpetual treadmill you can kind of never get to the end to while it creates this feeling of like wow there is a lot to do and sometimes it feels a little overwhelming i think it always then means that the game is not necessarily then designed for just the characters and the players who get to level light level 600 who max everything out um, but whether you're a 600 player, 570, 540, somewhere in between, that you are always moving towards something mean- meaningful for you, whether that's um, a raid thing, whether that's one of the crazy titles like Dredgen or Chronicler, um, or if it's some- something else, you kind of always are moving towards your own personal endgame rather than like a single endgame that they have to try to cater for everybody, which I think is really, really smart because just in our conversations, we all play the game for different reasons. Some people are playing to get that new gun, but some people are playing because they have meaningful lore and story that they want to to get into. And actually, that's I really like the way they've done these like weapon quests that you were talking about, because, you know, the the point of all these sort of like loot FPS third person shooter games is just like get better loot all the time. That's pretty much what you're doing all the time, Um, because if you ever stopped doing that, you wouldn't be playing anymore. But I love the idea that you're not just going out to get the Ace of Spades weapon. You're literally walking through a mission of Cade's like last words to every major character in the game, including some characters you haven't met yet that hopefully you will. Or that the malfeasances. Oh no, is that what that uh, mission yeah, does? I don't mean to I still I'm not need to spoil play that mission. Oh no, I haven't done it yet. You should do it because it's. Oh, I haven't done it yet. Now it. I'm sad you already. Sad. It's amazing. Um, okay, and- yeah. It gets yeah. rotated as a heroic story mission, like once every every couple of resets, and every time it does, I play it again because it's so good. Like mechanically, it's a very simple mission. It's very very simple, but the dialogue and the story that you get from that mission, um, and I would say do it alone. Don't do it with other people. Like don't do it like while sitting in a party talking to people. Like do it by yourself because there is very much. It's very much supposed to just be your guardian and and these words from Cade. Um, it's, it seems really intently designed that way, but you know, missions like that are so basic and the end game result of them is you get a really cool weapon, but they are so steeped in story and emotion that, um, it makes it really fulfilling to go after them. And it makes 
like spending eight hours trying to figure out the weird steps to get to that end point, like really, really satisfying. I've been so, so happy with it. And I think you make a really good point about it makes it easy for people to pursue the thing they want to pursue, which to a degree was always true in Destiny. If you really just wanted to focus on Crucible, you could really just focus on Crucible. But this uh, update especially one of the things that made me realize that I think they are intentionally trying to allow people to play the way they want and to focus the way they want is that they do have these uh, pinnacle weapons for each of three types for Gambit, Crucible, and Strikes. So if you don't want to play against other people ever, um, you can do the Strike one and you will get a very, you know, a good a masterwork weapon, I believe. And if you want to focus on like working toward dredgen, you can focus on that and get that weapon. Um, I think they're doing a really good job of giving you a lot of options. And to the point that it's not overwhelming because it's very easy to dismiss the things that you don't want to do. You know, you don't have to do the raid. You can if you want to, but you're not, you don't really have to. There's always something else for you to do. So I really like that. Um, I do want to touch on something, Saf, you kind of mentioned this, Tom has mentioned this in the past when we were just talking about about the money. I think one of the big and, and legitimate <laughs> arguments uh, against a game like this that is always on is that the way they fund that is that you, especially if you're playing on Xbox, you have to pay regularly so you can get it for free on pc uh, i don't is that deal is not still going on is it it was i think briefly. that deal ended yeah yes, it was yes, like yes. a blizzcon deal or something like yes. that yes yeah um, it, was, it was during the length of blizzcon so from yeah. the like thursday that blizzcon started at the beginning of november until the end of that weekend it was it was free as long as you downloaded it once you downloaded it was like yours to keep forever so yeah, I just wanted to make sure I didn't, you know, say it's free right now. It's not. Um, but if you play it on PC, you can, you know, make that one purchase. If you're playing it on Xbox, you'll also need Xbox Live and you'll also need the yep. season pass. Um, I definitely think that this is another... Uh, th if you... This is a game that requires that dedication and if you do if you do not wish to spend money on that i totally understand that um the pricing has also been kind of confusing um do you guys want to talk about like the way the things are bundled is kind of confusing yes yeah i took ages to figure out how the annual pass worked because when they first introduced it it just seemed like weapons you get some cool weapons and i was like that's not worth it i don't care about that um but with the new season coming up season five with like They've got the new expansions coming up, so like Season of the Forge, Season of the Drifter, um, that kind of stuff. And the way they're doing it has been really confusing until quite recently. Um, basically, a lot of data mining from players has made it less confusing for me. Uh, but it has been really confusing not knowing, like, I still don't know if Story is going to be gated behind this annual pass or not. Um I imagine it probably will be. So they've got like the season of the forge and a bunch of new stuff is coming out for that for like the free players, the players who don't have the annual pass, but then there's the whole black armory section is gated off behind the annual pass. Um, and it's, it's confusing. It's like 50 bucks for a year. I mean, in Australian dollars, not American dollars, um, which isn't that bad for like what I'm assuming we're going to get, but like still not knowing what they're exactly going to get behind it is really frustrating for me right now i mean odds are i'm going to buy it anyways because i'm very invested in destiny right now um but i wish they were more clear about what 
each person would be getting. Yeah, they, they it was it was odd that they, you know, when Forsaken was coming out, they announced that there was going to be this thing called the annual pass. And then they simultaneously announced and also were really dedicated to like a year's worth of content for Destiny. And so they were trying to announce and explain like three different things at once. And they erred on the side of being like, we're not really going to tell you what's in the annual pass. We're just telling you that like the ultimate destiny experience is behind this. Um, and it does look like mm-hmm. that the story portions of black armory are what's behind the annual pass for season of the forge. And that you will get access to like new weapons and new other things like the pinnacle weapons quests. But if you want the sort of, uh, I guess the new PVE activity and the sort of story content that's probably baked into that, that you will actually need the season, the annual pass for it. And you're right, Seth, they've been, they had a new vid doc last week where they sort of outlined this, but they've still been, I not yeah. say like deceptive about it, but they just still haven't been entirely clear about like, here is what you get if you have the annual pass and here is what you don't get if you don't have the annual pass. So um, I was just... Yeah, like, I just want to know if story is behind yeah. the annual pass because I am, like, I'm a narrative kind of person and if they're locking narrative behind it, I'm going to get it straight away, like, instantly. And if they told me that, I would buy it right now, basically. Um, but, like, if it's just guns and, like, gameplay behind it, I don't care as much. Like, I still care because it seems cool. But... It's not going to push me to grab it as much as it would otherwise. So I do think the the Vidoc last week answered that question. Um, but I just to like illustrate some of this, um, I was looking at just for the pricing. So the expansion pass is going for $35. Um, and I clicked on it on Microsoft.com just to see how much they had it listed for. And they have, it says... Destiny 2 Forsaken annual pass is currently not available, which is untrue. That's just like, it is available. <laughs> so there's a lot of like weirdness is, going on with this. Yeah, this is the thing you and I, um, Megan, were talking about earlier when we were actually playing that. It, like if you can go on the PlayStation store right now too, and you'll find a listing that also says that, but if you keep digging, you'll find a second listing that's identical that will let you buy it. And I think it just like, there's a lot of weird wonkiness. Um, the yes. one thing in terms of price that I'll point out that um, Cur- uh, Curse of Osiris and Warmind were each uh, $29.99 when they launched. I believe that you could have actually gotten them both for $35, the cost of this annual pass, the same cost, like as a bundle prior to Destiny 2. I think if you had bought all of them in advance, you could have gotten a discount. So from a cost standpoint, at least in American dollars, I don't know what it was in Australian dollars, Seth, if all these numbers also match up. Oh, my guess is they did. Um, what they're asking for is for these three seasons with this exclusive content, you basically have to pay the same amount that you did for curse of osiris and warmind i would guess we're gonna get just from a like a time commitment the same amount of exclusive content that we did from those two at certainly from curse of osiris which honestly had you know <laughs> uh, four yeah. missions worth of campaign that we completed in one night and then really very little else to kind of keep you going outside of a couple new maps for like crucible and like one two new strikes but they were just recycled missions um so from a actual cost standpoint it sounds like what we're getting just based on the black armory vid doc sounds like what we're getting is like that that's a value price that that's fine that they're not like making us pay an exorbitant amount of money for less content that they've given before but you would you would you would like their 
to be a bit more clarity before you pay $35. Um, yes. Especially when they've said that Penumbra, yeah. the third part of this grouping, that they are like intentionally not going to tell us anything about Penumbra. Like the whole point of that part of the annual pass is to just be about secrets and to like have the community like find all the secrets and basically discover what the update is as they play. Um, which cool Bungie, but which, maybe yeah, it would be a lot cooler yeah, if it wasn't cool Bungie, but maybe yeah, gated yeah, behind maybe, money, <laughs> maybe be a clear about the other stuff first before we get all secretive about it. Um, though by then they'll have all my money. So I guess it doesn't matter. <laughs> and that said, yeah, the more I hear about it, the more, um, I agree that it's comparative to the prices of the DLCs that have come before. Um, so, with in that VDoc, they kind of said what is going to be in it more specifically. There's a chart. There's a nice chart out of what's coming out which week. Um, so Black <laughs> Armory has the new Forge activities, which are going to be released on a timed schedule. There's three of them in December and one of them in January. They're they're roughly like. They're not, it's like two of them are one week apart and then there's one like uh, two weeks later and then it's kind of off for Christmas and then it's like one in January. So it's kind of an odd schedule, but it is this same, like you want to go on a certain date. It's creating more of that feeling of excitement where on the day that the DLC comes out, you, you have to be there on Tuesday. Like you set for me anyway, it's like, you know, it's a holiday. I set everything aside. Um, but that is now going to be happening every every week, every two weeks. So Black Armory also has a, a raid, which we were talking earlier about how large it is, and they said it's somewhere on the spectrum of between Crota's End, and, which is the first raid, and Last Wish, which is the latest raid. So basically that could mean anything. It's raid-sized. Um, <laughs> it might be small. I don't know. But it is, you know, it's as large as Crota's End anyway, um, which I did not expect at all. I did not, they had not announced that previously. They had said they there would be more raid layers or, quote, bubble spaces, um, but they had not mentioned this at all. So that immediately, to me, makes it seem more valuable. There's also an exotic quest called The Draw, which is interesting for lore reasons, because, like, that specific story is like what i'm really into right now and they're um doing these forges so i think the more i hear about it the more it does seem to be valuable i was very much previously under the impression that it was mostly just you would unlock weapons and maybe some areas maybe you know Crucible maps or something, but it does look like there's going to be more story in these. So I think they now I think they seem to be more worth it. We'll find out in in two days. You know, maybe by the time this episode comes out, the the events will actually be be starting. Um, but then those events will will continue. Um, one of the quotes was from the, the the stream the other day was, "We really don't want this to be a box product that you think of as being on a disc. We want it to be a world that evolves and changes over time." Which I think is potentially a little bit wishy washy, and it's like that's what a lot of companies want their games to be right now. That's why this open world, often updated thing is a trend in games right now. But also, it does seem like Destiny 2 is doing a good job of making those changes in a way that's entertaining and uh, comparable to what they've been doing before, just in a slightly different rhythm. 
Um, so what do you guys think about, about what you now know is going to be in Black Armory as opposed to not being sure, you know, this is why actually we were originally going to record this episode a week ago. And I said, I want to put it after that stream because I want us to know a little bit more about this when we talk about it. Yeah. Watching that stream definitely made me be like, yeah, this seems cool. And I want this thing. Um, I also like leaked stuff that has been on the Reddit has also made me want it more. Um, I'll be honest oh there. Oh my gosh, that's the thing. Uh, the stream was really I'm not cool. not going to lie, when you said <laughs> Penumbra was all about secrets, I was like, okay, that means Reddit's going to have it two days ahead of time instead of a week ahead of time, yep. <laughs> which is fine. I don't, yep. it's fu- I don't mind. But, yeah. Um, but if they really want secrets, they got to lock down their things that people well, are data mining. Like- yeah, because someone, like, found out that the redacted thing they had, they just pulled it out from underneath. Or, like, no, they accidentally put something up that the redacted thing was, like, not there or was just an image over the word. And so people got the word under the redacted block. And so people knew more about it because of that. It's like, come on, you should know what your players are like. You need to be more careful. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, also I know what game yeah. development is like and that stuff is easy to slip through. Um, but, yeah, like, watching the doc, like just seeing the excitement like you can see how excited the developers are about this update and like the stuff that's coming they clearly feel very strongly that what they're doing is stuff that players will like um which like more than the content that they showed really was what got me sold on it like seeing actually excited developers and the one thing i actually liked was the developers talking about playing the game and being like oh i'm at light level blah 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 and i was like oh that means they have free time to play the game that much that's really good to hear good work bungie um because <laughs> hmm. i care about developers having point. free time yeah like that kind of stuck out to me as a thing of being like oh they can play the game enough that they can do this um so maybe like crunch isn't so bad there i don't know i haven't talked to people from bungie early either way just seeing the devs be really psyched about what's coming up got me really psyched about what's coming up uh more than if they just showed me cutscenes or like just given me a list of stuff um knowing that the people working on the game are hyped about what's coming usually means that like there's a lot of love going into what's going to be coming up um and I just, I don't know, I am I really have no clue what's actually going to happen once the Black Armory drops. Like, I don't really understand comprehensively how it's going to be split, what we're going to be getting. Like, they've explained it, but it hasn't quite clicked in my head. So I'm kind of holding out until that day and, like, what people are saying to really buy the annual pass, even though I know I'm going to get it anyways. Um, but I'm just, like, really excited about stuff in the general sense. Just in this weird, like, amorphous blob of Destiny Future. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I have always had a lot of, like, emotion about Destiny. And it has been with me for many years now through, like, different, you know, parts of my life. And I'm really glad to be able to say kind of unequivocally that, like, yeah, I think it's good. And I think um, it has, like... I use it to relax, basically, you know, sometimes I write about it and do like work stuff, but mostly I just use it to relax and because I like the characters. So that's, that's my advertisement for Destiny. (laughs) (laughs) Tom, do you have anything you want to add about the Black Armory content, maybe about the, the way the forges are released specifically? Yeah, I think, um, so I have, from what they have released from the vid doc and from some of the details, it doesn't sound like the actual activities on each of those dates are different so it doesn't sound like the forge that gets released on december 4th will have like like will be a different activity entirely from the forge that gets released on say december 18th it almost sounds like they're it's like 
maps for the forge um you know it's like the forge map on the edz will look different than say the forge that you play if there's a forge on nessus or wherever i'm, I'm presuming that they're gonna have different ones across the galaxy or across the, the planets and so i think it's a i think it's fun because it lets people um kind of get used to the activity get used to a map kind of learn a map in the same way that you're like oh man i really hope we get to play the same map when you're playing gambit for the first time a few times because you're like i want to learn the map as much as i want to learn the activity but my guess is too that this is also another one of their tactics in terms of trying to um integrate lore into the activities and into this content so i would imagine that there will there will be lore and story connected specifically to the forge that you go to on december 4th and that by the time the next forge opens that there'll be different lore associated with that or you know different items associated with it i kind of like it because then I think unlike, let's say, a, a new activity like Escalation Protocol from Warmind, which was on Mars, but was just one thing. And yes, you could activate it on like the one part of Mars or the other part of Mars, and those map areas are slightly different, but it's the same activity. There really wasn't anything different about them. But I think drawing it out over, you know, what's going to be roughly a month plus, you know, with the holidays in between, I think provides... Um, consistent reasons to come back to the game, but also is the game telling you, hey, there's no reason for you to play like a thousand hours as soon as this drops because we are drawing it out and you should too. You should savor it. This is not the expectation that if you're not playing on December 4th and not playing for 10 hours straight that you're going to somehow be behind the curve. And I think it brings it back to the idea of making it a... Um, instead of an end game, you know, making it an always on game where everyone is pursuing their own end game. And so people can say, wow, I'm going to have these four different forges to go to and people making either dates to be there on the days they drop or, you know, finding ways to come play the game when they can throughout the holidays and always knowing there's going to be this content. I think it's really smart. And I think it also just, you know, signposts again to the community that, Destiny is trying to create reasons for everyone to come back all the time and not just come back once every six months for one important date when new content drops, but to like refresh your experience every few months. And I really like that. I enjoy the fact that we're going to get a couple of days to really dive into one Forge activity before another one opens up and we decide which one we want to play. Um, that's that's actually really nice. Uh, I like that quite Yeah, a and it feels less overwhelming, which... Like, I am worried about overwhelm with the new stuff dropping, but the way they seem to be playing to drop, like, draw it out will help with that a lot. Because um, there's still so much I need to do yeah. to, like, hit, like, level 600 um, and do all the other stuff that I want to do in the game because I'm still too low level for it. Um, with all this new stuff dropping, like, the light level is going to go up again and there's going to be these new forges and new weapons and a new weapon tier and everything. And I'm just like, oh, my God, that's so much stuff I have to deal with. But the way that they seem to be approaching it is kind of helping me <laughs> deal with that feeling. Because I'm like, okay, I don't have to do everything right away. Like, I don't have to catch up with everyone right away. It's fine. Um, it's fine. It's fine. It'll be good. Uh, yeah. One thing... And I mean, we should also... No, oh, go you ahead. go. It's fine. You go. Oh, I was going to say we should point out too, and this may be related to some of the cadence of these forges, is that this is going to be the first time that like uh, a ambient public activity is going to have matchmaking which people have been asking oh, yes. for forever yes, because yeah. people wanted matchmaking for Escalation Protocol. They wanted matchmaking for Court of Orcs way back when and Blindwell. This is going to have matchmaking. So I think also spacing them out is good because if you dropped all of these at once, then even though you were matchmaking, it's like 
technically trying to matchmake into four different uh, activities at once. Whereas now, if you go matchmaking on December 4th to find people to play with, you're all playing in the same Forge activity. So you're not going to end up with this weird situation where like no one can matchmake in one of the Forges because everyone's decided like, eh, we're not playing that one. Uh, yeah. That might happen down the line. I don't know exactly how it's going to work once all of them are out, but at least at the beginning, everyone who's jumping in to play the Forges knows they're going to have the largest pool of players to play with, um, which I think is probably really helpful. I didn't even think about also, that, but Bungie, yeah, that's good. Why did this take so long? Why, yeah, seriously. So long? I was like running in really and out of... Hard, right? Yeah, I was running in and out of Blind Well instances last night to try and find people who were doing the Blind Well, and I couldn't find anybody. I kept seeing people walking towards me and then walking into a different instance, and I was like, come on, <laughs> come on. So annoying. Um, so that, that yeah, matchmaking for like public event stuff is so good. And I kind of want them to backwards implement it, though I know they probably won't. Um, one day I'll deal with the blind well, but today is not that day. <laughs> um, <laughs> one thing I want to briefly touch on was you talking about the guns, like being the kind of like lore stuff as you go and get these guns. Something I really enjoy about that is that often you'll end up, um, you'll just end up noticing other people are doing the same thing as you just because they're using the gun. Um, like I was everyone I was doing escalation no escalation protocol I was doing the Icolos one where you have the Icolos pistol hand cannon um and like you have to use it in strikes like you have to have it equipped in strikes and I would notice that I would be running around with other people who are also using the exact same hand cannon as me I was like oh they're probably doing that quest um and there's also I think it was last night um I did like a certain lost sector in the dreaming city and we got match made with another person and they got the next quest step for an exotic quest that i got the quest step for like a few seconds later i was like oh they must have been doing this this lost sector for the same reason i was was to get this quest step um and it's kind of cool seeing that because in a way it feels like you're working together towards the same goal even though you're not and it feels like a connection to another player whether or not you actually interact with them you have this connection with them that you're both trying to achieve the same thing and I really like that. Like, I like the non, like, n like lack of communication, but still being connected to people. That's kind of been my biggest struggle with PC Destiny is that it has a live chat. And I don't like that. Someone was really mean to me playing Gambit the other day. And I was like, I don't like this. This is mean. I want to go back to Xbox where nobody talks to anybody. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. I, oof. <laughs> yeah. That is outside they were really my mean. <laughs> they were really mean. I reported them. Um, how could someone be mean like, was, to Sav? Disgusting. Because I did, to be fair, I did go invade the other side and then die straight away. But that was because the other side was camping at the invasion point. So it wasn't my fault. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, and I like, felt upset about that. Yeah, I, I'm, I like that uh, I'm not forced to talk to anyone I don't want to talk to on Xbox. Yeah, well, yeah, mostly, it'll be refreshing mostly. to go back to go back to Xbox and like not deal with the live chat being around anymore. Um, yeah. Another, I think there was another thing. Um, there's to get to the dreaming city. You have to do that whole quest line on the uh, tangled chore and me and the person I was in a fire team with. And then like, we're like waiting for this one public event you need to get the next step so you can get to the dreaming city. And it can take 
ages. Like this has been a complaint to Bungie that this one public event can take ages to happen. Um, and so you're stuck there and we were stuck there for like two and a half hours or something waiting for this public event to happen. But while that was happening, there were these two other people who were clearly in a fire team who were also waiting. And so the four of us just kind of ended up like mucking around together for ages. So whenever a public event flag would pop up, we would like dance near it or like do the begging emote near it to be like, please give us the right thing. Um, and it was really cute. Like it was frustrating kind of to have that not happen for ages, but it was really like lovely having this no voice no text interaction with these people um and just have fun with it like that i think is my favorite thing about destiny is just the interactions with other players through like dancing and other stuff it's just really fun and cute and i love it very good very good so i think that's about all that i have on this until black armory actually comes out and i'm sure there will be a lot to say the other exciting thing about destiny right now is that they have finally made a print version of the lore books so that is has yes. been shipped uh to many people i i ordered a copy and haven't received it yet but like some friends of mine and like people on reddit have been posting pictures of it so that's a real thing that i'm very excited about right now and after black armory comes out i'm sure i'll have more to be excited about on the the lore you know inside baseball front i don't want to get too specific about like here i'm gonna give 12 character names for people that don't know the game who who have nevertheless suffered through this podcast but there's so much going on right now with the lore so much yeah i'm really excited for this because i I remember I got really into Dragon Age. Like, I played Dragon Age 1 and 2, and I enjoyed them well enough, but I didn't care about the world that much. And then I read the first World of Thetis book that they released, and I got extremely into Dragon Age just through that lore book. Like, reading it got me very into the games, and it's because of that lore book that I really love those games now. Um, so I'm really excited for this Destiny lore book. Like, I didn't order it or anything, but I will at some point, because I really want it. Because I imagine reading through that will make me care so much more about everything cool cool all right um tom is there anything you want to add about like the pace that's of the of the game right now or just anything to wrap no, us I, up i think you know for for uh everything that destiny has gone through a lot of like weird um issues with either pacing or balance or all sorts of things over the last couple of years and then there's also the like the hand-wringing intention over like what's the future of, of uh, destiny from both a story and creative situation and, and financially i think that the choices they've made for trying out this annual pass i think it was clear that just having like two or three little like expansions throughout a year as they'd had with destiny one and destiny two it was really hit and miss you'd have really good content like the taking king you'd have really kind of disappointing content like curse of osiris and then you'd have stuff that was like in between like say like rise of iron which you know that kind of i don't think that that system was working well enough that it made sense to continue it so i like the fact that bungie has embraced something different and not just something different in terms of a pricing model but something different in terms of a philosophy as we talked about moving from creating an amazing end game to creating an amazing on game all the time and whether or not it ends up working is irrelevant at this point because it still remains to be seen but i really like the idea that they have really embraced change in a meaningful way and trying things new in a meaningful way and not just like eh, we're trying something new but really it's just like a different coating of paint on the same old thing and that's really exciting that we're like kind of right at the beginning point of diving into um, basically 48 hours from now or maybe 10 hours from now if you're Seth. i don't know how time works in i think we still get it dropping at the same time as y'all um it just drops <laughs> 
at a really inconvenient time for me. <laughs> oh, okay. It's it's actually oh, 47 and a half hours. <laughs> Damn that half hour. <laughs> All right, so thank you to everyone for listening. Um, we can be found on social media at Western underscore Reaches. We are a Tashi Station podcast. Um, you can also support Tashi Station on Patreon if you so desire. Um, I can be found on Twitter at Blog Full of Words. Where can you guys be found? I am on Twitter at Wanderlusting, which is Wanderlusting without the G. Tom, where are you found? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Darth Internus. Internus is spelled I N T E R. N-O-U-S. Cool. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to check the Western Reaches. Mm-hmm.